We continue the shear in Nabi. Bringing you back to the part of the story we concluded with last week, Eliyahu Hanavi had challenged the Nevi'eh HaBaal, the fourth prophet of the Baal, to the top of Mount Carmel, and there asked that they, in the presence of all the Jews, offer a sacrifice to their idol Baal, a sacrifice without fire, let them summon the powers of their idol to set fire to this carbon to the sacrifice and consume it which of course they proceeded to do without success naturally despite the fact that they had deposited Chiel, one of their accomplices underneath the altar with uh, the orders to set fire to this carbon and pretend that it was the work of their idol thereby to fool the Jews but Eliyahu was aware of this he was misfollowed to Hashem and Rizal brings this out. It's not mentioned, I haven't seen it elsewhere. Rizal says that he was involved to Hashem, and Hashem sent a snake, which poisonous snake, which bit Chiel and killed him. Then Eliyahu built his Uzbeach with stones, a trough filled with water, placed the calf on top of it, and then was misfollowed to Hashem. Hashem sent a fire from heaven. This consumed this carbon. And all the Jews saw then recognized the truth, the difference, and they accepted it. At this point, all the Jews cried out the words, Hashem hu ha'alikim, Hashem hu ha'alikim, twice. Hashem is the ruler, is the king, is the power, and not the havdil of Baal or any other idol. Why did they state this twice? These words have a very special meaning. If you recall on in Kippur, the last words we say are Hashem Ho'alikim seven times, just before blowing the Shaifa at the end of Neva. Also, on Yom Kippur Katan, it's head of the Shchedesh, maybe before the Shchedesh, the last day of the month, we have special Tfilis then, we say those words too. We stress those words very strongly. Exactly what do they mean? Gemara says that Hashem Ho'alikim means that Hashem and Elikim are the same. We know what Hashem is. What is Elikim? How does Elikim differ from Hashem? The fact is that the atheists, the non-believers, the skeptics, those who doubt, have coined a word called nature. They claim that the sun shines by day, the moon at night, the tides, the temperatures, the weather, and so on. These are all an act of nature. In fact, even the birth, reproduction on earth is to, has to show them an act of nature. What is nature? There's no interpretation of that word. Nature means something invisible, a non-existing entity which causes all this to happen. These are all words, theories of the apikursim, the kaifrim, the atheists. Here the Teda says, Teda tells us, warns, Hashem hu alikim that what they call nature in Hebrew is known as Hateva. Hateva means the nature too. Of course, the Teva means that which is normal, that which is common, that which seems to be automatic. And yet the word Hateva, what is the origin of Hateva? Hateva is Bigimetria Elikim. Do not think that this Teva, this nature, is something that comes by itself or that is coincidental. That it, it too is an act of Hashem not just an act of Hashem, where Hashem says, let the sun shine from now on, when Hashem created it. 
But it's an act of Hashem at every single moment. It is called Hashkocha Proteus. The Kim means that Hashem sees at every single moment what is happening, and Hashem decrees this to happen. So that at no second, at no moment in time, does the sun shine without a command of Hashem for it to shine. At no second does a wind blow, does a breeze go through the air without the will of Hashem that the breeze reach this very same point, the same spot. Without the command of Hashem, this could not happen. So Hashem or the Kim means that what those skeptics call Teva, we say that is Hashem. The Kim, Teva, is Hashem too. Secondly, the Gemara says that to define the two names more precisely, Hashem Yudke Vavke refers to the characteristic of chesed or kindness. The kin means judgment, din, or harshness. And therefore we find that the word kin and the chumash is also used, that same word is used for judges, human judges. The Supreme Court or a court on earth is called a kin also. Of course that word is used for judgment. The word Hashem, Yudkei is never used for anything but Hashem himself. Now what is the difference between the two? The characteristic of chesed, that is kindness, that means anything good that happens to a person, any simcha, any joyous event that comes about, comes about from the power of Hashem. This name, this midah, this quality of chesed, of kindness of Hashem. Any harsh decree that comes down, if a sickness or suffering or tragedy strikes that comes from this origin, this characteristic of din, of judgment, coming also from Hashem, from heaven, from the name Elikim. Now, to a person who does not recognize the truth about Hashem, he separates, he differentiates between these two words. One, if he had a good day in business, he says, Baruch Hashem. Thank God. If he had a rough day in business, if he suffered a great loss, he says, woe is to me. What is there to thank? He does not give thanks then because he is suffering. He is crying over his loss. But such is not the truth. Such is not the true meaning of emuna in Hashem. True emuna is he who understands only, simply, that Hashem hu ha'alikim that there is absolutely no difference, not an iota of difference between chesed and din, because since, since both definitely come from Hashem, therefore there cannot be any difference between the two. So what appears to be as din, as harshness, is only an illusion. It is actually the same chesed, the same kindness as what appears to be harsh, same kindness as the greatest treasure that will befall him, and he must recognize it as such. Therefore, the Gemara says in Psachim, that a person who is good will always say, Baruch Hashem, whether he has gained a treasure, whether a child has been born to him, or whether he has lost a child. If someone in his family died, he will still say, Baruch Hashem. A different bracha, Baruch Dayan Emes. But he will say it, the same feeling of thanks to Hashem, as he would say, a Baruch Shehech This, the Gemara says, is in the Pasuk, Ba'ashem Ahalel Davar, Ve'elikim Ahalel Davar. I will give praise for any item that comes from Hashem, which means something which is chesed, kindness, 
that which is seems to be judgment or harsh judgment. We once told of years ago, this is in our time, there are many cases in Gemara, cases in past history that we can illustrate, but we can take a case right out of our time, case of the old Rav of Kutzal, where his child, his son died, and he wasn't a child, he was a son who was going to the Chuppah. He died, and Kutzal was delayed in going to the funeral for two hours. He secreted himself in a secluded place, private room, waited two hours before he appeared for the funeral. Afterwards he came out, attended the funeral, and then his students asked him why the delay. And he said, I went into that room to prepare myself. I refused to come out until I felt the same attitude towards heaven, towards Hashem, in going to the funeral, exactly the same as I felt in going to the chuppah. Then I felt I was ready, prepared to perform the mitzvah of the funeral. Because I had to recognize this as an act of Hashem that was not harsh, but good. This was an act of chesed. How can you call the loss of a child an act of chesed? That requires a much deeper understanding and a much deeper faith in Hashem. Therefore, the Baal Shem HaKadosh, in a word, explains this. Shulchan Aruch says that each person, the very beginning of the Shulchan Aruch, Every person must fulfill the mitzvah of Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit. A person must never forget the fact that Hashem is over him, in front of him, watching him, and he must be guided by this thought always. If you realize the presence of Hashem always, you will naturally refrain from committing any wrong. So Shivisi Hashem is as though I imagine, I picture Hashem Lenegdi Summit before me, opposite me always. Hashem HaKadosh says that is not sufficient. It must be interpreted, translated to mean, Shivisi Hashem. I consider Hashem. Hashem is chesed. I consider an act of Hashem, an act of kindness. By Hashem, that which is against me, these items that strike me, that are against me, misfortunes and tragedies against me, I consider Hashem. What is Lenegdi, I consider Shivisi Hashem as Chesed. What is Din, I consider as Chesed, Tomid always. I will never differentiate between the two. This is what a Madrega, the level the Jews reached at that time, when they cried out Hashem Hu Kim twice. Following this, Ilyanavi called out to the Jews in that case, then quickly take hold of these hundreds of Nevi'e Habal, these false prophets, bring them to me, and he slaughtered every one of them. He killed them in front of the Jews. Now he turned and he said to his servant, tell King Achav to prepare something to eat, to celebrate this miracle, celebrate the fact that the Jews have turned to Hashem. At the same time, he turned and started to be misspelled Hashem, prayed Hashem to send rain immediately, because he had promised them that if they turned back to Hashem, they'd have rain. But why was he misspelled? Hashem had told him, Hashem had ordered him, go and tell Achav, I'm going to give rain. And the Anavi was aware of this, but now he was anxious to have it done immediately, so he should not be embarrassed. And he told his boy, go out and look for a sign of rain. He went out continually finally came back and said I see a tiny cloud 
the size of the palm of a man's hand. That's how tiny this cloud is in the clear sky. So he said to this boy, go and tell Achav to quickly get his horses ready for this coach to return back to his palace because there's going to be a torrential downpour. I don't want it to get too wet. By the time the boy went and told King Achav, the rains, the clouds had gathered, the skies had darkened, and the rain began. It was at this point that Elielavi told Achav return to the palace. Achav began his ride in the coach to the palace. The Tatus says, Vayeshane Moslov. Elielavi girded himself, he tightened his belt, as would a gibber, a powerful person going out to battle. And he ran in front of Achav's coach, ran afoot all the way back to the palace. This was a very long distance. He ran at top speed without stopping, preceding the horses. These were good horses, king's horses, that led the coach of Achav all the way back to Israel, to the city of Achav. This despite the fact that Achav was an idol worshiper, despite the fact that, as we said, Achav was a worse Russia than Yeravim ben Avot. But Achav was still king. The fact that he was king of the Jews, that he was a king, merited him special covet, special honor. The Gemara says that the honor given to a king, in a sense, is greater than the honor given to a parent, to a rabbi, to a nasi. Nasi means a chief rabbi of all the Sanhedrin. His honor is less than that of a king because every one of these could forego his honor. It could be mochel, could forgive the receiving of this honor. But a king cannot forego his honor. There is an absolute law that you must give this covenant to a king. There's no way that a person can be exempt from that covenant. This was exemplified by the act of Elianavi, who showed this extreme honor to Achav by running in front of him for the entire length between Harakarmel and the city where Achav resided. Now, to go one step further, very much further, that is very much deeper. The case of Achav, as we will continue to study his life history, is a very black one, very dark one, because we find in one sentence, above all, the Teda itself testifies to the fact that if Yeravim ben Avot was evil and worshipped and spread idol worship, then his acts were very minor compared to the major acts of Avedezorah of Achav. Achav was much worse. The smallest sin of Achav was worse than the severest one of Yeravim ben Avot. Now, since we find in the Gemara that the rabbis of the Gemara stated unanimously, practically unanimously, Stam Mishnah, that Yeravim ben Avot did not get Ganeidim. He ended up, his heavenly trial resulted in a decision where he was sentenced to Gehenim permanently. And, second case, the Gemara says, certainly so, Achav, too, landed in Gehenim, and this too was an eternal sentence, to stay in Gehenim forever. As we said, this is practically a unanimous decision. Same time, and we'll find later, as we said it, acts of Acha, we have not finished with them yet. Other acts that seem to be even worse than the ones we've experienced till now. Yet we must pause at this moment for a second, for a moment, to explain the fact 
that a Melech Israel, that a king of the Jews, is to receive special consideration, special honor, special regard, not just during his lifetime, but obviously, obviously there is something very special about him in heaven. The Gemara says, a number of places, Basra, Brachas, that there is no person, no position in existence that is not decided on first in heaven. If a person is elected to a certain office, let us say the chairman of the, the sanitation department, which is a high office as far as the workers are concerned, before he's elected to that position, the decision is first formulated and decided upon in heaven. If one is elected to as mayor of a city, then certainly it is the will of heaven first. There is a discussion in heaven as to who is to be elected, and then the rest of the actions on earth take place, which are meaningless because the decision was already made in heaven. So, for example, this election day, there already have been decisions made in heaven as to who will be elected, regardless of what the polls say, regardless of what the politicians say. Decisions have been made already. And certainly so, Kolshikin, surely in the case of a king, and Kolshikin, in the case of a Jewish king. That means that if one person among all the Jews is selected as the king, the one who commands such a deep respect and honor by the laws of the Teda, there must be something very special about this person or about this person's neshama. The case of Achav, that Izal says that Achav, of course, had a very special neshama. He was a direct Gilgal of Cain and more. We'll discuss his Gilgal at a different time. But as an insight to what the Gemara says, when the Gemara says that Achav ended up in Gehenna permanently, which means that there was no further hope for him, there was no chance for Tikkun, as we said, this is a generalized statement, very generalized, which means that it leaves room for further discussion or for further revelation. And this is what Abenazar reveals. Abenazar tells us that there lived at one time the a very famous Sadiq known to everyone who studies Gemara. One of the first Achalenim who explained the first commentary on Gemara, in fact, the very first Achalen in every Gemara who has earned himself this exalted spot is known as the Marsha. The Marsha, they don't have Shmuel, Eliezer, Halevi, Idlish. Marsha Zal, one of the first commentaries on the Gemara, and he was not only a great London, naturally, but also a very great tzaddik with Ruach HaKadosh, as Abenazal tells. And this is a story that took place at the time of the, when the Marshozal was at its peak as the Reish Yeshiva in Austria. At that time, he led one of the largest yeshivas, had a yeshiva of the greatest students at that time in that city, and over the entire country, there was a Rav Horoshi, a chief rabbi. It was customary that every rabbi of every vicinity was required to appear before this chief rabbi as a matter of paying his respects. No rabbi was exempt. 
And so, of course, every one of them conformed to this rule, except the Marashoza, who refused to come for some hidden reason. This chief rabbi was Dan Lekavschus. That means he did not suspect the Marashoza of any act of insubordination. He judged him in his favor and said, undoubtedly the Marashoza is such a musmid. He studies Tatus so diligently that he refuses to take time out even for an item as important as coming to pay his respects to me. And so he forgave him this. A little later on, this chief rabbi decided that he would like to visit the Mashiach himself. If the Mashiach will not come to him, he will then go to the Mashiach. He came to the city where the Mashiach was. Naturally, the entire city came out to pay homage, to pay the respects to this chief rabbi of the country. And following this, the chief rabbi came to the yeshiva of the Mashiach, and when he came to the door of the yeshiva, he had noticed that the Mashor was not among the people in the city who came out to greet him. So he came to the yeshiva to see the Mashor. When he came there, he stood at the threshold and saw the Mashor teaching his students. And the Mashor refused to look up and to give shalom to the chief rabbi, though he was obviously aware of his presence. The chief rabbi looked at him and said to himself, I still do not suspect the Mashor of any wrongdoing. Though it is degrading to me that I come to his doorstep, that he refuses to greet me, still I judge the reason for this is that the Mashiach is so holy he refuses to allow his mouth, his tongue, to stop speaking words of Teda even for a second. Therefore, I cannot hold any grudge against him. While standing there, the chief rabbi saw it suddenly a boy came running into this base hamadrash of the Mashor, very handsome-looking boy, very bright eyes. The Mashor stood up quickly, rose up as one would when a great rabbi would walk in, completely stood up, the highest measure of respect, went over to this boy, took him aside, he stopped his teachings abruptly, and started to speak to this boy very intently. The chief rabbi looked out in amazement as to what was so special about this boy. And the Mashor continued for quite a while. It was obvious that this boy was not the Mashor's son or relative. Why would he respect him so highly? When the, this discussion was over, chief rabbi looked over to the Mashor, and by this time he was furious. He said to the Mashor, so, you refused to come to me, I forgave you for it. I was delicatus. I judged you as a matter of sincere sincerity on your part, the desire to study Taylor, not to stop, not to pause. I came here, you refused to come out to greet me. I came to the Yeshiva, you didn't even look up. Everything you did, I accepted. Now when I see that for an ordinary boy, you stand up and show so much respect to him, plus the fact that you're willing to pause, to stop the study of Teda for so long a period, this I cannot forgive. And I will not even accept any plea of forgiveness on your part. Moshozal said to this chief rabbi, this boy that you see is going to die in two hours. Then you'll understand. 
chief rabbi looked at the boy, a very young, healthy specimen. And he said to Ashur, I don't believe you. In fact, I'm going to disprove you. So he pulled this boy aside. This chief rabbi took this boy with him, walked outside with him, and kept him at his side, very close to him, and kept talking to him, whiling away, wasting away the two hours to see what would happen and giving no chance for anything to happen to the boy. He protected him with himself, watched that nothing was going on. In the two hours, there were a few military officers passing by. One of them took out a gun and started to shoot at birds flying overhead. And one bird swooped low. This officer shot low, struck this boy right next to the chief rabbi, and killed him. The chief rabbi was astounded at this sight, exactly at the end of two hours, as the Mashor predicted, this boy died. He ran back to the Mashor, and he said to the Mashor, please explain, there's something very strange, I see now that you are right, but explain it. Mashor Zal said to this chief rabbi, now you wait, they're about to bring in the body of a murdered man, wait here. He waited again, surprise. A short time later, a wagon came in, carrying the body of a man who was murdered on the road. Marshal said to this chief rabbi, now I'll explain it to you. I stood up for this boy when I was in the middle of learning, middle of studying, middle of teaching, of course. You know why? Because there's a mitzvah that's above covered of Teda, and that is the covered, the honor that is due to a Melech Yisrael. This boy is the Gilgal of Melech Achav, King Achav. He's come here, it's not the first time, for a tikkun, perfect his past actions, he comes back in Gilgal. But because he was killed, King Achav was killed by sword, by an arrow from during a time of war, as we'll have later on in history. Therefore, whenever he comes back to this life, it must be ended with his death through murder. Now, the moment that this boy was born, there was created also a Moach, a special Moach Mashchis, a Moach Amavis, to kill him. And this Moach, when he was created, was placed at the exact spot where this boy was supposed to be killed. This spot was out of town. Now, this boy, when I told you he has two hours to live, you should have let him alone. He was supposed to go to that spot, be killed by this Moach. This would have been a ticking for him. At the same time, at the end of the two hours, the boy had to die. He died through a different means, an officer who killed him. But this Malach Mashchus, the Zayri Kodesh is a Malach Hamavis, a Malach of death, there are many, who was deprived of his korban, who was deprived of his victim, does not rest, demands that he be repaid. And so an innocent person had to be given as a sacrifice to this angel of death. This innocent victim died because of you, because you held up this boy from going to that pointed spot. When the chief rabbi heard this, he began to cry, fell at the feet of the Marshal and said, You are truly a holy person. I beg, first of all, forgiveness for having suspected you. And second, since you are that holy, I beg you to give me a means of doing tshuva. What happened to this horror, this person who got killed? Shorazal told him, your tshuva consists of your disrobing, remove from yourself this crown of chief rabbi, and become an ordinary driver, a 
coach driver. This will be a means of Golas exile to have your sins forgiven. The Benazal concludes with Devar Hashem Yochum Liyelam. The word of Hashem will always come true, must come to pass. But we see from that, that's why the story ended as the Mashazal said it would. We see from that story, though, very clearly, despite the fact that Rabbi Tzimar said that Achav ended in Gehenna, this was his sentence. Yet, still, despite this note, despite this, we see that Achav was brought back to Gilgal, that there was a tikkun being done for him, no matter how long it would take, but his perfection, his correction was being worked on. And by whom? Specifically by these great tzaddikim of each generation. This is the greatest task, the dedication of these tzaddikim, in the second to correct the faults, the shortcomings, the begun of these neshamas. We find in the stories about the Benazel, worked on thousands, tens of thousands of these lost souls that could not be corrected other than coming to him for a tikkun that Benazel was misasek with them. So that even the case of Achav, where the Torah states clearly, Gemara states clearly that Achav was lost. There was no chance of ever getting to Ganeden, yet we find that the great Sadiqim went against this, opposed this, and worked upon being the Saki and Achav, but with the greatest of respect. So though Elia Levi was so much against Achav because of his idol worship, when he came to the mitzvah of Kibbut Kovid HaMelech, he ran before Achav's coach the entire distance to the city of Achav's palace. Then, Achav came home, he told his wife, uh, Achav may have been bad, but as bad as he was, he was nothing compared to his wife, because when a woman is bad, a man cannot match her in evil. That's why she was called Izevo, a very poor word, very uncomplimentary name. Izevo, the wife of Achav, heard about the fact that Achav had killed her loyal followers, the false prophets of the Baal. She sent a message to Elianavi saying, I'm going to get you, to kill you, cut you into tiny pieces. The usual language of these butcheresses. When Elinavi heard this, she was a queen, she had power, so he fled. He fled to the desert, and there he stayed. He lay down to rest, very tired, very exhausted, and he began to pray, Davin to Hashem, take me away, he said. I've lived long enough, this is a life of suffering. I don't want to live any longer in this manner. Why should I live so much longer than my forefathers? Of course, in depth, this means that he was Pinchas. Leo was Pinchas, and it showed how long he had lived. At that moment, a Malach came, touched him, and offered him food. The Malach said to him, eat. He ate, he finished eating, he lay down again to rest. And a short time later, the Malach came and said to him, touched him and said, eat again. He was told to eat, so he ate. He said, you have a long journey in front of you. When he finished, he touched him and said, now go. So he went and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights without food or drink. Just with the power of this one meal, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights and he came to the site of Mount Sinai, Sinai. Uh, Medrash says 
note one thing. We have a case here, a 40-day abstention from food. Does that mean that he reached the Madrega of Meshur Rabbeinu? The Tzedah states that Meshur is the only person ever to abstain from food for 40 days and 40 nights while he was in heaven receiving the Tzedah. Of course, this was repeated three times, but the, the Tzedah states that just for the first 40 days and 40 nights, what a great act this was. So what is the difference between these two? The answer is that here, there was a special meal given to him. It says, with the power of this nourishment, he was able to last for 40 days and 40 nights, a miracle in itself, but one that cannot compare to the case of Meshrabenu, who had no food within him at all, who needed no food to sustain him because he was in a category of a heavenly body at that time. When he came to Har Sinai, he went into a cave, and this happened to be the same cave in which Meshur Rabbeinu stood when Hashem passed by him. He, he said, I want to see the Shekhinah. Hashem passed by and gave him the 13 names of Hashem. He stood in this cave. He was asked, why have you come here? A Malach asked him, why have you come? And he said, I've come because Kanei I want to avenge the honor of Hashem. I've seen idol worship throughout. I want to have this sacrilegious act avenged. I want those guilty punished. And then he was told, go out onto the mountainside. He came there. He was told, now wait. Wait and watch. He saw that first there came a powerful wind. A wind that was so strong that it split the rocks on the side of the mountain. He heard the Moloch say, this powerful wind that you see, this all-powerful wind is not Hashem. Then he heard a roar, a roar of thunder, thunderous roar. And he was told this powerful roar, the sound, is still not Hashem. Then he saw a flame, an all-consuming flame. Again he was told Hashem is not in this flame. Then he heard a very soft voice, very, very soft voice, and he was told, this is the voice of Hashem, meaning this was meant to teach him that what you saw before were the angels, the messengers of Hashem, messengers of harshness, messengers of doom. The voice of Hashem is one of softness and kindness, different than your voice different than what you demand. And this voice said to Eliyahu what do you want? Again he said, I came to Imikane to avenge the covet of Hashem. I want revenge from those who have desecrated the honor of Hashem. In reply to Eliyahu you have three missions to perform. First, you must go to the land of Aram, the Syrians, and anoint crown Chazoel as the new king of Syria because the kings of the Goyim also are chosen in heaven you are to anoint Chazoel as the new king Hashem is displeased with the present king of Syria secondly you must go to Yehu and anoint him as the new king of the Jews the ten tribes that's your second act your third act is Go to Elisha Hanavi and appoint him 
as a navi in your stead. The other kings are simple. Hashem wants them for a reason. But in your case, Hashem does not want you anymore. You have been the leader of the Jews until now, and up till now, you've served well. No one, you've turned away from what Hashem considers an ideal leader. Hashem wants a leader like Leishad Abenu. When the Jews turn to evil, to sin, when the Egel Hazoha, the golden calf, was made, there was no claim by Meshach Rabbeinu, I want the Jews punished. I want to see suffering. I want to see retribution. I want revenge from the Jews. What did Meshach Rabbeinu say? I want them forgiven. They are my people. I am their leader. I am the shepherd of this flock. I want them forgiven. To what extent? Even to the extent of sacrificing my life for them. With a threat. He threatened Hashem. If you forgive them, good. If not, I want to be the first one to die. Erase me. That's, it sounds disrespectful. But Hashem said, that's the kind of leader I want. The Jews are my people, good or bad, loyal or sinful. They are still my people, and I will never exchange them for any other. I want a leader who will always defend them. You have ceased to serve the proper purpose because you've turned against my people as good as you are, Eliyahu Navi, and therefore I want you to go and appoint Elisha Navi in your stead. At the same time, because you have spoken harshly about the Jews, I hereby order you that henceforth, for the rest of time, you're going to have the duty of speaking well, meaning to testify about the purity the loyalty and true faith of a Jew. It is your duty to be present every single time a Jew is placed on the altar as a sign of sacrifice to Hashem. Which altar, which shechita, which slaughter are we speaking of? The case of a child being born. When a son is born, the father brings that son for the bris mila. The bris is made. He offers that child to Hashem. This is a form of a sacrifice where the child is made to to suffer in a sense to bring him into the treaty, the covenant with Hashem. This shows that the person, this Jew, is very loyal and has complete faith in Hashem. At that moment, the presence of Eliyahu Navi is imperative to be there to testify that these Jews, every one of them, is loyal to Hashem. And so in every bris we have the presence of Elianavi. We have a special kisei, a chair for Elianavi, in which case we know that his presence will enhance, beautify the ceremony of the bris. The kedusha of his presence, of course, helps to forgive the sins of all those present. The point is, again, the ikkah, the say the foundation for all Jews is solid, perfect emunah and Hashem, emunah and uh, that's Sechus. Hashem will take us to Himself, will redeem us, will send us Mashiach to Kenu. Amen.